You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 284 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you Gina? I'm great Val. I'm excited about this week's episode, how to create images that stand out from the pack with our guest uh, Karen Allsop. But before we start Val, Mm. I want to give you a pro tip. Pro tip, yep, great. I'm Mm. all for pro tips. All right, so I think this is so important and your future self is going to love you for doing this. And I see a lot of photographers not doing that is organize your files. So Mm. um, because what happens is you get started and you forget about naming files and you know that the camera generates its own file counter and you get something that says Z43279 b dot jpeg or dot cr2 right so then two years down the track you did this great uh, portrait of someone and now they want it and you've got no idea where it is yeah is is it on this computer is it on that computer so i think it's really important just plan on that someone's going to want the photos down the track if you're just starting out and definitely if you're a professional photographer please 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 name your files it's going to make life so Mm. much easier and so i think uh, one of the best naming protocols is to uh, give it a custom name so based on the job Mm -hmm. and and also include the year that you shot it so you know if it's 2020 and you photograph john smith Mm -hmm. uh, the name of the file would be john smith 20 Mm -hmm. underscore and then you can keep the original camera number. Right, yes. Okay. That's a really handy protocol because you'll never, you'll always have that. So you can always uh, search for the original file mm. if, if somehow it all gets uh, messed up. Mm. But I think that's a really good way to do it. And the other thing is when you've done John Smith job then all of that all everything to do with john smith goes in the one folder so what i do is i have uh every year and then within the year subfolder i've got subfolders for every month mm-hmm. and then within each month i've got subfolders of each uh client with their name and then within that folder it's everything that happens to that job. So it will include if I am creating a Lightroom catalog and I personally create Lightroom catalogs for every job uh, 
uh, regardless of, you know, if it's a small job or a big job, I prefer to do it that way. The Lightroom catalog goes into that folder or the Capture One uh, catalog or, you know, any Photoshop adjustments that I might do, PSD files, all go into that folder. So I'll have the raw files, I'll have the final edits, so all the retouched files, and I also keep all the PSD files. Now, um, storage is really cheap these days, so there's no excuse to not buy a bigger hard drive and just keep everything in that one spot. Mm. But this this little hack of just naming those files and doing it now is going to make your life so much easier down the track, even next month when you're trying to find that file. A lot easier to search John Smith than DZ2432X. Yeah, somewhere definitely. in the folder, mm. you know. So just make a habit of that. I think you'll um you'll appreciate it down the track. And is there a hack for um doing it um efficiently, especially when you've got three hundred images? Yeah. So when you're importing your raw files, you'll either use something like Capture One or you'll use uh, Lightroom, whatever the raw. Uh, editing software that you're using is at the time of import you can do all of that as a batch so you can tell Lightroom or Capture One to rename the files and uh, it'll do that for you and you can also at the time of renaming you can add all your copyright info as well so the image will be tagged with uh, copyright 2020 uh, held by you you can also include uh, the location that it was uh, taken and you can also tag extra things so if you're a photographer that is uh, so today we're talking with Karen Alsop who's in a fantastic composite photography she does amazing uh artwork digital artworks which involve composites of uh you know hundreds of layers of images and she builds those shots so uh it, as part of her workflow uh karen is constantly collecting skies and backgrounds and things like that as do i for my images so whenever i'm uh, uploading files i will also tag those images so if i've got a series of sky shots mm. that i'm importing i'll rename them but i'll also tag them with sky so I can go into Lightroom and just uh, search for a tag and then I can find those images really quickly. So you can do it all at the point of input and you can also even put a little description into the metadata if you want to as well. So if you're a gold member, I have all of these protocols outlined. There's like three or four very detailed tutorials. They're about an hour long each, which covers my protocol for naming, tagging, uh, organizing all your files. So if you want to check those out, they're in the Lightroom section of the Gold community. Um, And of course, if you want to find out more about how you can become a member of the Gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the Gold community. I'm passionate about helping the members of the Gold community. They're amazing photographers and I love seeing them progress in leaps and bounds. Here's what VJ Brito had to say. I think with you, the thing is, it's almost like I'm talking to a friend and your responsiveness is so amazing. It's like I have my own personal coach all the time. Hey, Gina, how can I set this up? Okay, and Gina is like right there discussing this with me and you know setting this up for me. That's really amazing. And it, it's such a big help, especially like on the days, like I mentioned, my first shoot, you know, that was, that's where I realized the value that you bring with this whole setup. And 
I'm so thankful to have you as part of my journey that you've helped me through and I look forward to you know being working with you through this next five years or thank, more thank you VJ it's like it's my greatest joy seeing everyone um, you know progress and uh, you know shine as photographers and I've got big plans for you so uh, thanks again if you'd like to find out more about the gold community just go to genomilitia.com and click on join the community all right so this week we have how to create images that stand out from the pack with guest Karen Allsop. Tell us about Karen. Yeah, so Karen is an Australian digital artist, digital photography artist, and who creates these amazing uh, composite images uh, that she that that she dreams up in her imagination. Mm. Now, what better way to stand out from the crowd? Because Valerie, do you imagine? Can you imagine if uh, you and I could get into each other's heads, and I could imagine what was Scary. in your head, and you could and you could copy what's in mine? Because no one can, you know, because that's unique to you and all the experience you've had in your life. So she's creating these amazing um, fantasy-like images that come out of her imagination, and she's doing this for commercial clients, and she's also doing it for portrait clients as well. So she's got these uh, amazing creative images of kids with their pets where they're flying in planes or or just of so uh, animals it, Yeah, if you if you parties. basically <laughs> imagine going down the rabbit hole literally of Alice in Wonderland yeah. and the kind yeah. of images, but it's photography and obviously these have been digitally manipulated, but we've got yeah. cats in outfits, we've got literally all of the motifs from Alice in Wonderland We've got um, pictures of animals in libraries hanging out and doing whatever you normally do in libraries. So they are fantastical images. Imagine um, fantastical beasts and what that, whatever that movie is, um, a very Harry Potter-esque kind of uh, imagery as well. So um, these are the, the kind of, kinds of images that you'll find in, at Karen's website, which is storyart.com. And, um, yeah, what, what's the chat with Karen involved? So uh, basically I wanted to get into Karen's head with all the different <laughs> characters that she's got living in there and just tap in and find out uh, how she got into this particular style of photography. So she was really generous with her information and shared uh, what her first attempts at composite f images were like and how, she, how that style evolved uh, and uh, how she developed her Photoshop skills and uh, talking about those first conceptual images and also how important it was for her to work with charities to get her name out there and also because she wants to give back to the community and uh, making that transition. Then she walks us through uh, planning a conceptual image like this, so how she organises her files, how she comes up with the ideas, uh, where the inspiration comes from, finding talent and uh, setting up the lighting and using assistance and also scouting locations. And then she has got the best hack, Val. Mm -hmm. You'll be using this right. hack, I know, mm -hmm. and suddenly I'm going to see shots of Rexy and Rocky uh, based on this hack. So how to create 
grand grand costumes of anything you like with a tiny budget and she also walks us through uh, pricing and marketing so shall we have a listen let's have a listen to karen Orsop. karen Orsop, welcome to the show how are you going I am great, Gina. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat to you today. Before we start, I always ask uh, my guests, where in the world are you? I am in Melbourne uh, in a little place called Guy's Hill, which is sort of out in the suburbs and uh, it's beautiful out here. So loving sitting in my studio and chatting to you now. Fantastic. And it's a a beautiful day too. It's nice and cool and overcast. We're not having all the smoke uh, from the fire. So it's uh, it's a lovely respite for us here in Melbourne, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, your work is just absolutely gorgeous. It's like I stumbled across your stuff and it's just like amazing. So uh, I wanted to have a chat to you about your process for working on mm-hmm. your conceptual images. But before we start, I just want to um, dive into how you actually got started. So you've been doing this for around 20 years now, is that right? I have, or even more now. So I'm 40. uh, And yeah, I got into photography when I was about 16 years old. So I started my business uh, in my early 20s. So yeah, I started it as wedding and portrait photography. And so Um, what did that look like? So you you started photography at 16. So you were still at Hmm. school. Was there a family influence there or... Yeah. Yeah, there was. So my grandfather was heavily into photography. He was very involved in his local camera club in Oakley. And uh, yeah, so he got me started. We set up a a dark room. I had my own dark room and did a lot of black and white development and just really learned the the basic skills of photography and built that up. Uh, We had the opportunity to do that as I was in school. So we had dark rooms and photography as a subject. So that was fantastic. Uh, And then I just sort of went on from there uh, to study at university. I actually studied teaching, so primary school teaching. Me too. I studied teaching. So you get, yeah, I I studied secondary art craft. So that's how I I got introduced to photography. So uh, you already had that background. So how, uh, what was the idea of doing a teaching degree? Because for me, it was um, no one, everyone advised me to not uh, become an artist because I'd I'd starve in a garret somewhere mm. <laughs> so, so I, I, I did the uh, teaching degree as something to fall back on was that your thinking or you hadn't really th- considered photography as a career at that stage I think I always had a really um, solid plan of how I wanted to progress and mm-hmm. it was really a progressional kind of plan too. So I actually wanted to be a music teacher to begin with mm-hmm. and I wanted to build up my photography business while teaching. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I studied teaching, I studied music, I did photography in my Bachelor of Arts uh, part of the course and yeah, when I finished, I went ahead and got a teaching job at a private school. And I taught music for eight years. And over that time, I just dropped my teaching amounts down until I was ready to give up teaching altogether and go into the photography full time. So it was it was a long term progressional sort of thing. And I don't regret any of it. I loved the teaching. I loved what I did when I did it. And now I love what I'm doing now. Yeah. So the, the, the transitioning from teaching to photography, how did that look to to growing a business? So, like, when did mm-hmm. you first start 
uh, shooting mm. paid gigs, did you start shooting folio first? Because like, was this in the first years at uni? How, how did that yeah, look? Yeah, yeah. So uh, 2001 is when I started teaching. It was when I got married and it was when I established my business, which was called Emerald Eye Design at the time. So it's actually started off as a graphic design business with photography as part of that. So I was doing um, a lot of bed and breakfast brochures, a lot of tourism sort of work using the graphic design and using the photography uh, to build on that. And then I realized after a while, I think I hadn't really done portraits or weddings early on. It was it was more the tourism type work. Uh, I started to really enjoy taking portraits and uh, taking photos of people. So yeah, I got asked to photograph uh, my cousin's wedding mm. and uh, my husband and I thought, oh, well, we'll give it a go. He was starting to get into photography as well at that yeah. time. Uh, and uh, yeah, we sort of thought, oh, we don't know if we want to do this long term, but let's give it a go. And uh, then realized after actually shooting that and getting my first digital camera the day before. So I went into the wedding <laughs> with, a, with a film camera and a digital SLR, um, the 300D. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and then went into the wedding uh, and really loved it. They actually came out with some fantastic shots at the time and, um, and really enjoyed it. So we sort of actually went down that road together in photographing, pursuing weddings more so, and building up the wedding side of things primarily over those years. Yeah. So yeah. And then just teaching and yeah, just teaching and doing my music thing uh, as well. So, yeah. So when you look at uh, your images now, your folio, it's hard to believe that you were ever a beginner. You just like it, it, everyone assumes that, oh, my God, you must have been always, uh, you know, that amazing at photography. <laughs> Tell me about that first wedding experience. What was it like going into? So obviously you've, you've mm. picked up this digital camera, pulled it out of the box, read the manual going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. How did that look? What sort of were you nervous? I mean, it's your cousin's wedding I, were, yeah, were the expectations yeah. high on your part did you know what you were doing uh the, yeah, it was a second wedding um so I guess the expectations weren't as high as they would be um if it was a first wedding I um I I went into it with the digital camera knowing how to use it because the digital SLR was very similar to the film SLR that I was using mm. uh, and so after bringing both I, I bought both along with full plans to use the the film SLR more than I did and I ended up using the digital a lot more mm. um, and yeah I think because I had that background in photography and the real basis of knowing how to shoot and having to expose correctly and get all the settings correctly not knowing what they're going to turn out like with film um, and not being able to see them straight away um, yeah going into it I wasn't too worried about it, I guess, in that in in that case. So I, it wasn't going into a wedding without having shot anything before. It was just uh, going into a wedding with a new piece of equipment, which probably wasn't recommended necessarily. But it worked out. It worked out okay. 
So that, those first couple of weddings, uh, I mean, it's one thing to be going along and shooting, say, portraits of your friends and yep. family members when you've got all the time in the world. But a wedding's yep. a whole different beast and like yes. you're thrown in the deep end going, oh, my God, I've got to be yep. in five places at once. How am I going to uh-huh. get through? So so how did that feel and do, what was it that uh, – what are the skills that, that you think that you developed leading up to this wedding that got you through being able to shoot Mm. in those pressure situations? Yeah. Well, I think from a personal um, perspective, I'm, I, I, can work with high pressure. I, I'm not sort of one to, to get stressed easily. Uh, I like to take take control of the situation, try and figure out what I need to do and try and solve problems as I go. So I think that's a good start because one of the things I guess is the biggest thing going into a wedding for the first time is you can feel very overwhelmed and stressed. I think having my husband there to back me up. So having that second shooter is really key. Um, and, and over the years, I always, I I had him probably 90% of the weddings that I shot. Uh, The ones that I didn't have him and having to do everything myself, that's a lot, that's a lot higher pressure. So having someone else there that can capture those other, those other shots and, you know, try and make sure that you're not going to miss something. Um, So you're bouncing off each other with that. That's, I think, a key. So if you're going into wedding photography and you're just starting, I would highly recommend bringing someone along with you, someone that maybe has uh, a bit of experience that can help you um, or if you can, the better way around is to actually go and assist as much as you can before you shoot your first wedding. Mm. If I went back in time. Did you do, (laughs) did you do assisting before you shot? Did you do any no. assisting in the early years? No. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. But it, it was also starting out with the small weddings and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, people not having too high expectations on us, knowing that, you know, that the wedding, that we hadn't shot weddings many times before, but um, knowing that they could get good shots from us. So seeing, seeing a portfolio of, of work each time and building up on that. So just each wedding that we did um, in those first, in that first year, just raised the price a little bit, um, create more uh, examples of work and, and sort of make sure that I've got something that I can show people this is what we do. Um, yeah, and just gradually build up, build up, build up, build up until you're at the point where you feel confident that you can um, put those prices on that you need to yeah. because you can't shoot, you can't long-term shoot a wedding for, you know, $500. No. Um, that's not going to work. Uh, but we, we shot a few weddings. You know, first one was free. Second one was, I, I can remember, $300. The third one was 600 uh, And then we kind of went up to more um, reasonable prices or um, long-term prices um, after that. So, yeah. Right. So you just kept uh, kept increasing kept with each kept wedding, increasing. which is a great yeah. – I think yeah. that's a great idea. And I yeah. love the idea of having that um, – second shooter or assistant I think it's very important to have that someone to share the load for you you know and give you that confidence with the portrait side of it how did that uh, how did that develop so at the start Mm -hmm. so with Mm -hmm. your uh, graphic design experience were you teaching yourself photoshop did you learn a little bit at uni how did that look yeah so so I did delve into it quite a bit, uh, especially with the graphic design side of things. Uh, and I sort of started off in Photoshop too, so yeah. pretty early on when there wasn't layers and things. But as I as I went 
along with the portrait and wedding work, I didn't really do a lot with Photoshop. Every now and again, I'd experiment with things and I'd try things. And I look back at that, those experimentations, and they're so bad. (laughs) They're terrible. So the whole Photoshop side of things and the compositing did not really come about until 2014. Right. So, oh, so it's a it fair looks while. like, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was pretty much um, really basic edits uh, straight out of camera, you know, fixing images in Lightroom, yeah. uh, you know, just getting the best out of the images uh, for that whole time up until 2014, yeah. So those early portrait shoots, were you uh... – doing the typical portrait shoot where you mm-hmm. take a family out to the park or was some yep. of your um, conceptual work starting to creep in? Did you have an idea before you do the shoot um, or would mm. you just allow whatever happened that the family to dictate where the shoot would be? It's like we want we want to be in front of our lemon yep. tree, which is every <laughs> ethnic in Melbourne wants to be photo- <laughs> in front of a lemon tree. I've got the photos. <laughs> um, it was mostly lifestyle kind of photography. Yeah. We did a lot. It was always shooting in the golden hour, yeah. um, mostly outdoors. I did have a studio later on in the piece, so I used I did a little bit of studio work as well, yeah. and. I guess when I got the studio set up, that's when I started experimenting. So I'd get some jobs like um, for a local radio station, uh, Light FM, way back uh, when I was first delving into the Photoshop work. I'd do some really conceptual things with them. Um, but, yeah, mostly it, mostly it was lifestyle. Mostly it was very natural work, and that's what we prided ourselves on. And so it's really quite different to what I do now. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Um, can you remember that that first time? So, what was the what was the shot for the radio station that you did? Mm. So I did some shots for the radio announcers to yeah. showcase who they were, and I got them into different positions where I then uh, photoshopped them into cartoons. So I had like um, some of the announcers playing football with each other, but then the whole scene that they were in were was cartoon um, stock. So, the background uh, was cartoon yeah, stock. Yeah, the whole background stock, and they were interacting with with the cartoon stock, if that makes sense. So yeah, it was um, playing with playing with illustration and mixing it with photos yeah yeah which was fun yeah it sounds like fun how did you pitch that idea to the radio station did they come to you and ask for that or did they say we need um promo images and and did you say i've got one better how about we do this yeah it was pretty much like that we need promo images and i thought oh let's try this and they're like yeah let's let's do that's good idea so we went with that yeah Right, yep. so they did. They, they were happy. And did you, w- w- with the pitch, did you mock mm. something up to show them this is this is what I've got in mind? Because it's very hard to to get that across the line if you're yeah, just on yeah. the other end of the line going, okay. So just imagine <laughs> we've got. I you know, actually. This scene. How did you pitch yeah, it? Yeah, I I'm trying to remember back because we're talking at least ten years ago yeah. now. Um, but I think it was just they went with the idea. I already knew a few of them. I was actually already going in and doing a radio stint every week on Light FM and talking about photography. So right. I had a relationship with them. Um, and this was a bit of a trade. So I did the photos um, to, for some ad space. Yes. And I um, I had an ad made up, which is actually really hard when you're a photographer yeah. to, to get 
across in audio form what it is that you do. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So I had an ad made up. I had Chris Sebastian write a song for me, a little jingle Excellent. about my business. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and uh, and we traded. So that, that was that was good. I used to do a lot of trades uh, early on too. Well, I think it's a great so idea. Yeah, so that yeah. was your way of marketing your portraits and weddings to your mm-hmm. lo- local area, like to, to Melbourne yeah. basically. Was yeah, it a yeah, Melbourne-based right. or Victorian-based radio station or was it sort of mostly yeah. Melbourne? Uh, it's Melbourne, but it's online as well. So I know they've got a lot of listeners, but yeah, yeah. primarily Melbourne-based. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right, so and that was in exchange for the, the ad and then you, uh-huh. you said you did a lot of uh, other stuff like that at the time to build your profile. So what did that, mm. what did that sort of look like? Who, who else did you approach? <laughs> um, uh, look, I, I did a lot of local work with with people. I, I did a lot of trades um, to get set up, I guess. Uh, you know, I have a, a painter to paint my studio or a landscaper to landscape and, and I trade them for work. So then I do work for them um, that a lot of it was sort of advertising sort of style work that they could use um, in their marketing and yeah, yeah we, we, we just traded and so it got got my name out there, it got me connected with uh, the local businesses and uh, it meant that we both got something great out of the exchange so it was, um, yeah, it worked well. Yeah. I didn't think anyone else did this, but I was doing this early on in my career <laughs> as well. And it's something that I think a lot of uh, photographers that are listening should take advantage of, especially early yeah. on. Uh, so I got uh, new curtains for my home as a contra <laughs> for a shoot. The office yep. that I'm in now, the, uh, w- w- the 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 exterior, the bricks were laid yep. by a, a bricklayer who was also a in a band. Oh, yes, so I did a photo shoot for the band. Uh, the paving yep. around yep. the house uh, was another contra, and uh, the ovens <laughs> was uh, also a contra. So there there's a lot you can get, and and then yeah. what's interesting, and I'm sure that this happened with you, that initial um, contra shoot that you do. Like, not only did I get the brand new state of the art cooktop and an oven mm-hmm. and the wall and everything, but after that those commercial clients just kept using us yeah that's it that's right you establish the relationship and uh on you go from there so i i didn't think yeah i i'm surprised to hear how many conchas you did because i thought i was the only one that oh, went I, ahead and just oh. i am known early on i was known as the queen of contra there's yeah. the whole heap yeah. of them that are of, of like i've forgotten so many but it was just it was a I running know. joke for a while amongst my circle yes. of friends <laughs> me too <laughs> So, oh, that's so cool. And then uh, I think the most important thing that uh, we've both mentioned is also that there, there was value, at like, a, a, you know, mm. an equal value exchange. So it's like a, a lot of photographers yeah. today uh, are doing something similar. It's like, I'll shoot for exposure. But we mm. were actually doing, like, I'll shoot for, you know, we were getting goods in our hands. So, Absolutely. But, and and yeah. then you still, uh, it's a really great way to introduce yourself uh, to another, a whole different type of client that normally wouldn't work with you because they, they yeah. love your work after that. So I think that's, that's right. a great yeah. idea. All right, so <laughs> you're doing um, these uh, the uh, contra deals and is this, uh, is this just strictly portrait work or are you starting to do the conceptual stuff there as well? 
Yeah, so some of that was, that's probably with the Contra deals, that was more the conceptual work. So I look at that and think, yeah, I was experimenting and and doing Photoshop kind of work even before I thought it was a thing that I could do. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just, yeah, I've got this idea. Let's see if I can make it happen. Um, and, And I did it. So it was that, that opportunity to experiment and to sort of find my place and find what I was passionate about. So yeah. those, those early uh, composite conceptual jobs, uh, do, do they still exist on the on the folio, or or you just can't look at them, or do, <laughs> do you still love them? I don't put them on my folio. I know some of the uh, the radio ones are still being yeah. used, um, which is fun. They're, they're fun, but they're not really reflective of what I do now. They're quite different in style. So I'm I'm very very clear in my style yes. uh, now, and and what I put out there as um, story art. So yeah, I'm I'm careful not to mix that up with kind of other sort of styles that I used to do. Yeah. Okay. So, so with the uh, the port, so you're doing a lot of portraits and you're doing a lot of weddings, mm. and then you're um, hitting up local businesses to do more of this conceptual work. How did that? How did you transition from that to doing uh, more conceptual work as mm. part of your portrait work? Yeah. Well, the the biggest focus that we always had was weddings. That that was our, our primary um, point of business. And when I had kids, so we had uh, my daughter in uh, 2011 and then son in 2013. And so we had always planned to continue to shoot the weddings. Uh, my husband works full time, but he'd shoot with me on the weekends. Um, and I do all, uh, you know, run the business throughout the week. Uh, and we enjoyed that. We enjoyed doing that. But when when we had the kids, it really just changed things completely, right? Um, yeah, just trying to get them babysat. My, my parents at the time, who were the main babysitters, uh, lived an hour away. Oh. Um, so it was really becoming difficult and not the same enjoyment level um, that we used to have. So that's that was the catalyst to experimenting and trying to find something else that I could do that could work around family life. So I actually tried quite a few things during that time. Uh, I tried newborn photography and I had never really delved into newborn photography before I had kids because I was always afraid I'd drop the baby or do something. (laughs) (laughs) So touch that soft spot in the head. Don't touch the soft spot. I know. That's right. That's right. So I was a bit bit worried. But after I had my kids, I thought, oh, it's okay. I think I can handle it. So I did. And I did the newborn photography. I got all the props. I've got this amazing studio that we built. Um, this, This was finished just when my son was born uh, and it's like it's a it's an all-in-one studio it looks like a commercial premises from the main road yeah. but it's actually on our property so right. it's classified as a home business oh, I went through the whole um, renting and yeah. having it in the house and then renting and then having um, another big uh, house slash um, you know on the main road and and just spending a lot of money on a space and so what we ended up doing um, when we had the kids was also to move to this place that is a quarter acre block yeah. have the ability to build this custom studio and um, and to be able to have it so it's ours so yeah so I thought all right I've got this amazing studio space it's really well set up I could do newborns during the week um, and I got all of the all of the props I spent a fortune and I tried it for about six months 
and I did all the training and I was pretty good at it, but I really didn't like it. <laughs> I right. did not like the, the many hours in the hot room, settling the baby just to get these certain shots, you know, the, the specific shots that people expect. So it was a lack of variety for me um, and a lack of creativity in, and so I just, I got um, frustrated with that. So I continued to explore, okay, what else can I do? Maybe conceptual portraits, but I sort of started that thinking as um, more like, what can I dress people in? What can I costume them in? What can I create a story out of camera? I wasn't really thinking compositing at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, I started doing a few shots um, and different different themed images, getting those prints up in local businesses as a showcase. Yes. Uh, and then I, the first one that really sort of was a turning point for me, was that I approached a pet pampering shop uh, in my local area, and uh, I said to them, "Can I create an image based on a Pears soap ad?" So there's this Pears soap painting that was up at my parents' house um, of the little kids, one one in the bath, yes. one holding the dog. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I wanted to replicate that, and I wanted to create this piece photographically um, that they could put up on their wall, advertise me, um, but have it as something that was built, or, like the idea was built around their business. Right. So it was really a sh- uh, uh, an image that would be in keeping with their, their shop. And so... I went, uh, they said, yep, that sounds great. Okay. Um, so I went and I created it and I went and sourced everything from antique stores and different places. I set up the studio. I got in um, some models and I also used my kids in it and our dog. So I did two versions of it mm-hmm. and I had to composite it quite substantially because I realized in setting it up that I could not get it all in one shot. Right getting the getting the right uh, the hands up from the from the young boy and getting um the child holding the dog in the right place and uh the expressions because i was trying to replicate a painting i needed to make sure everything was right so i ended up with about 10 shots um that i needed to composite in of each and so i put it all together i spent at least 10 hours in Photoshop putting it together because I'd locked down the tripod for this one. So I basically set up the studio, set up the scene, locked down the tripod and got all my shots and then I was blending them together. So I put all that together. I loved the process. I took it into um, frame to this pet pampering shop and the first thing that they said to me was, this is amazing. I think people are going to want to get you to do this for them. Right. And I thought, oh. It was actually, I didn't, oh, so you didn't I wasn't have, expecting didn't have that. that intention of advertising <laughs> this work to get more of that work. You just wanted no. to get portraits from that. Basically, yeah. Oh, I was sort of thinking conceptual, but then, then I thought, how on earth am I going to make, you know, charge the right amount yeah. for the amount of work that I had to put into this? That was my thinking at the time. I thought, I loved doing it, but how, how can I charge for one one image, you know? So I, I guess that, that started it, but then I just had to continue and I... I started creating more work and I created images um, just for myself, uh, portfolio building ones, and I entered them into awards. So I entered a whole series into the Victorian AIPP Awards in 2015, um, early 2015. I entered 
eight images. I'd never entered before. Mm. Uh, and I was looking at all of the other images that had been entered in the past and thought, I don't even know if this fits. Right. You know, I don't know if my style is going to, you know, bomb. I, I had no idea, but I put them in and I was astounded. I got five golds, three silver distinctions and a silver. That's amazing. I was, yeah, that, it was incredible. Like to, I know now having been part of that whole awards process and now as a judge, how hard it is to get that, yeah. to even get one gold, right? Um, or even to get a silver. So I realized that I was on the right path and that, that just made me decide, all right, that's it. I'm not going to advertise the weddings anymore. I'm not going to advertise the portraits anymore. I'm just putting my whole focus into this. This is story art. This is me. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. That's amazing. And and I, I can imagine at the time that there wasn't a lot, like even looking at your work now, there isn't a lot out there that's like that, you know, mm. you're sort of up in the upper level. But I just want to go back a little bit, a few years to those early years when you've got yep. small children. I mean, they're still young, like you've got what, yep. ten, 10 and 7 or something now, is it? Uh, eight and six. Okay, still so now, it's yeah. still a lot of work. But like yeah. in those earlier years when you've got little babies, how does that look? Because you, you've mm -hmm. got a separate studio on your property. It's separate yep. to the house, right? So mm -hmm. are you setting aside days that these are my studio days, therefore I need to get someone to look after the kids or are they with you? How did you work yeah. around those early years? Because it's two full-time mm -hmm. jobs basically is what you're yeah. doing. That's true. Uh, I, I'm the sort of person that needs to focus on my work yes. when I'm doing it. So what I decided was that it was best to have um, a few days where they were in family daycare. Yes. So they, they went to this um, house that only had like a few kids there. Um, they had some of their best friends there and they were able to spend the day there and I was able to get my work done. So those were my work days and then I had my days with them. So then as they grew a little bit older, you know, they started three-year-old kinder yeah. and yeah, and now obviously they're in school so it's a little bit easier my husband works at the school that they uh they go to he's a marketing manager right. and uh he drops them off so off they go in the morning at 8 a.m yeah. leave me to it and then they all come back together at five so i get a really nice stretch and i don't have to do the school run so it's it's lovely <laughs> that's fantastic and it's it, it's great to have that support but i think the important thing that you mentioned as well is you you, you grew the business with them so when yeah. they were very 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 young uh, before they went to preschool uh you're you're not working every day you're doing a few days but also yep. like because i tried this as well when my uh children were babies and it's like mm -hmm. oh, i'll just have them with me mm, it it's very hard no it's impossible yeah. so yeah. um you know but also it's impossible to work um you know, at, at that creative, that top level when they're mm. away from you all the time. It's just hard because yeah. they're long days. So so I guess did you start scheduling uh, rather than the client dictating I can only do, you know, Tuesday yeah. at 5 o'clock, you would oh, say, yeah. no, these are my hours, these are the hours that I work because a lot of people get yeah. caught out by that as well as trying to please everyone and you, it just ends up as a, a complete mm. mess and you burn out. Yeah, totally. It, it is still very much a balance. I don't know mm. if you can ever get it perfect. Um, the thing that, yeah, so I do very much sort of focus on doing the work in business hours. Yeah. Um, if someone wants to have a meeting with me or have a shoot, then, you know, business hours primarily. If it's something that I can do with my kids, however, yes. um, on the weekend, so uh, yesterday, no, what are we, <laughs> the other day on the weekend, um, we needed to photograph 
some cows right. <laughs> for one of the pieces I'm working on. So this is an art piece that I was selling my gallery. Uh, so that can be done with the family. You know, we go on an adventure, we go to a farm, we we go visit the cows, We they help me. So I've got this amazing flexibility to be able to bring my kids to a lot of my shoots because it's not involving other people necessarily. It's just involving animals or objects or whatever it is that I need to put the pieces together so that's what I love um, yeah. about what I do I can I, I go away a lot I, I um, speak uh, at a lot of events and I travel quite a bit mm. so when I, I didn't really expect that I suppose when I when I took this direction um, I was thinking yeah it's a much more flexible sort of scenario for my kids and I didn't expect the travel that I do mm. so that can be very hard you know I told um, we t- I was talking to my son last night about the potential that I'm that we might need to go to Rome um, the, for the World Photographic Cup, and I'm still weighing that up. Yeah, <laughs> um, because he's just he's upset because he'll yeah. have to stay here. No, mummy, no, mummy, don't leave, don't leave. You know, and it's it's very it's very hard. That's um, heartbreaking. <laughs> it I, is. I yeah. can remember um, there was a time when my kids were both uh, under three, I think, and uh, my son had just started speaking and I'd been going to uh, flying back and forth to Sydney and I'd, mm. I'd go and come back. I'd try and go and come back in the same day, but sometimes I'd yeah. do it overnight. And then one day my son, I think he was all of three or a little bit less said to me mummy it hurts me in my heart when you leave oh so i stopped for a little while i'm like this can wait i can i don't need to travel this much so you know yeah uh, but i love that idea of getting the children involved and i'm sure that are they sitting on your knee or hanging around the computer when you're um (laughs) images together are they starting to chip in with their five cents oh, yeah. worth about oh, mommy yes. they, your worst, wait till they get older you wait this will keep you grounded <laughs> this will keep you grounded because it's like you'll show them the thing no nah, i think that sky doesn't work mum oh they're already doing that they're already doing that <laughs> That's fantastic. but their feedback's actually really good it's useful it's, it's- it is useful, yeah. So I always show them, and what should I change? What should I do? And you know, they, yeah, they'll come up with heaps of ideas for me. So it's good. It's good. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on. So you've started doing these um, uh, these images now. So I just want to uh, talk about the process now about working on these uh, conceptual images. So the idea. They can come from, I'm just fascinated by where creativity comes from. So you gave us a, a little bit of insight here with the, that first shoot uh, based on a, um, yeah. the what was the brand of the soap? The pear, pear, pear soap. Pear yeah. soap. Uh, and that was, uh, I think that's an old image from the like 1950s, isn't it? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is it is it old advertising? Are you getting inspiration from children's book covers or, or like what? And how? does that work so do you see the image and then start thinking about a concept that's going you can make that into a photo is it will you because there's also some beautiful images where you've got amazing buildings and things like that Mm -hmm. are you driving by a location and then suddenly you go gotta keep that in mind but yeah how are you is there a notebook have you got how does that all work 
Yeah, yeah. It's a number of different forms, I suppose. So one of the things that I use a lot is Pinterest. Um, I can't draw, so sketching an idea really doesn't work, but I always have really clear ideas in my mind of what I want to do. So I sort of store up ideas and then on Pinterest, I'll I'll use that as a mood board Mm. and uh, find lots of different prompters. And it might be a prompter for a face expression or a prompter for the look or the color or whatever it is, like lots of different little things. Um, And And so the ideas, though, come from so many different places. Uh, If I'm working with a client, I really want to get deep with them and find out what's important to them. So then I'd sort of draw out those interests and those things that are important and then work out a way that I can make that a visual story. Yeah. So for, for them. But then if I'm coming up with an idea for myself, I'm, I don't know, they come from all sorts of places. Like at the moment, I guess I'm on a series where I'm working on images that really show a lot of animal idioms or um, puns, you yeah. know, sayings and finding ways that I can visually show that um, in a really entertaining way. Yeah. So that's, that's just like it makes it, it's so exciting and it's so much fun because you can really do anything yeah. when you're compositing. You know, there is no limit. There's nothing that is impossible. You can do you can dress an animal you can move it you can you can make someone fly you know you can do anything and that's that's what I love so I don't want to create images that you could do in one shot I don't want to create something that is yeah you could do in a single capture there's no point to that um for me so this is yeah I'm just kind of whatever is really weird and out there and funny and joyful and exciting and then bring those bring those concepts together to tell a story yeah fantastic so with the with the with the concepts do you find that uh you'll have an idea and you'll plan it out and do the shoot and then as you're comping it together Mm. do you find that it does it take on a life of its own and will it go in a slightly different direction than you imagine? I'm, like I imagine like a writer will be mm. writing, they've got an idea of the bones of the, the, uh, the book, but then they, they, they'll allow the characters to dictate where that, that, that story ends up sometimes. Does, does yeah. that happen with you? Yeah, it does. It does. I don't think you can be too locked in because mm. things don't always work out the way that you plan. Um, one example would be that elephant in the room and that animal puns image that yeah. I did uh, a couple of years ago now. And I only I started just with the elephant in the room um, and I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool image, just yeah. having this element elephant sitting in a room. And I showed it to a few people. I showed it to my husband and anyone that I showed it to, they're like, oh, it's all right, but it doesn't have, you know, all those little elements that you would normally put in. So I went from elephant in a room to 20 animal puns in one image and so it just exploded and so then I just keep kept finding new new animals new puns that I could work into this one image so it does you need to be open to seeing where it goes but having a plan is really key though so I I very rarely would just sit down and start playing with images yeah I've got a stock collection of my own personal stock of about 30,000 images now yeah um and so I've got so many that I could play with but Usually when I'm creating, I very rarely go back to those images. It might just be for a small element. I always sort of shoot all the new things that I need for that particular image. So, yeah, I have a pretty clear plan when I go into it. 
All right, so just going back to the, I want to ask you about your process, but you've uh, piqued my interest with the stock library. So um, <laughs> how does that look? How are you collecting those shots? So is mm-hmm. it, have you got like a system of storage and um, tagging that you do in Lightroom? So obviously, um, you know, because we say on this show yeah. that whenever you see a sexy sky, just shoot it wherever you yeah. are, just take a, wi- a wide angle shot, get, get, get a few different exposures, have a good yep. collection of clouds and sunsets, sun rises all of that so are you doing the same like you might be in a country town and you'll see a quirky uh set of letterboxes you'll just shoot stock of those all different angles Mm -hmm. and then textured walls and little bits and pieces uh what about the clothes how are you how are you doing (laughs) that what what are you doing to shoot (laughs) those the clothes um i've (laughs) i have a very scary collection of porcelain dolls in my studio um possibly a hundred of them I'm not sure uh and they so I collect them and I photograph the dolls Mm -hmm. clothes uh so that and I have I have a lot of costumes as well like normal size costumes but um that is one of my little tricks to have clothes especially when you're dressing animals is to use dolls and the the most amazing yeah oh yeah and the most amazing outfits that they're in and you can get them from like the op shop for six dollars as opposed to getting a full size costume that would look the same yeah you know um so that i would photograph as i need to mostly um but other things as i'm going yeah i photograph them whenever i'm out so i've always got the camera um i've got a Nikon Z7 now, which I'm loving because it's so nice and light. So it's the mirrorless one. Uh, And I can just have it in my bag all the time. And so I go out and I shoot and then I download them to Lightroom CC. So not Lightroom Classic, but Lightroom Creative Cloud, the mobile version. Uh, And I also do photos on my phone and do the same thing. I bring them into Lightroom CC. Now, I am really a little bit slack and I never was very good at keywording. I don't need to now. The Creative Cloud, it runs on AI and it it looks at my images. So if I'm looking for a cow, I type cow. It finds all my cows. Yeah. Without keyword. Without keyword. It saves a lot of searching. So, so yeah. So everywhere you go, like you'll see the bark on a tree that'll be useful or gum nuts or whatever, you've got that collection. So you're not ever, do you ever use any stock photography in your shots? Occasionally, um, if I need to, yeah. So there are times where you just, you can't go and photograph something that you need to. Um, And so that's where I usually use Adobe stock for that. um, And that's if it's a client piece. Now, I obviously can't enter that into awards. So yeah, so I'm, I'm usually, my first priority is okay, can I create this all from images that I've shot myself, all shot within the last two years, um, because then there's the opportunity to enter it. Um, And there's also, it just feels better to me to use all my own shots. I I just, uh, as great as it is to have access to stock, I don't feel as good about the final image. So um, yeah, it's there, it works well. You don't want to be, I can't justify um, getting paid for a job and then having to travel excessively just to get one part of the image when I could get it off, you know, Adobe stock. So I have to balance it out. Um, But yeah, I, I, I think sometimes people can spend forever looking through a stock library, you know, so um, of other stock to find the perfect image when it could be just so much easier, just go out and shoot it. So I always recommend, you know, try and shoot it yourself. Don't make the stock 
um, the first priority, try and shoot it yourself. And then uh, if you can't, then maybe go back to the stock. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then back to the, the phone photography. So if you just need, again, I'll just use the letterbox mm. uh, example, but if you just need a letterbox, it's going to be a tiny, tiny little yep. p- part of the image. Yeah, it's perfectly fine to use a phone image that you've taken. Sure. So yeah, I think that's a great way to uh, store. And, and it does the same thing. The AI in the phone will help you find yeah. those because Im- it'll find all the similar images as well. So, so when it comes to um, creating these images, when you're working with a client, Mm-hmm. What? Um, h- how does that look? So you've got the say. Say it's a, a family. They want mm-hmm. a, a family portrait done in this conceptual way. H- how do you sit down and nut out that that shot with them? So I usually start with, okay, what are your interests? What are the hobbies? What's important? And get that list. And then I pose a few ideas to them. But uh, the way that I work to, uh, I have found that my clients really trust me yes. because they've seen the work, they've seen the process. And then it's not just that they've seen the work. I put out a video for just about every image that I create. And it's a behind the scenes video. It shows the process of creating the shooting, the editing, um, right up to re- people receiving those images and seeing them for the first time. So the people that then come to me, they have um, already the understanding of what I do and they have a level of trust. So they give me a lot of creative freedom. So if I can, I will try and do it in such a way that they don't see it until the fin- until it's ready and it's printed and it's in their hands, if I can, if, uh, if they trust me enough to leave it to me completely. Other times there might be a bit more back and forth. Uh, so I'll come up with the concept, I'll start it, I'll show it to them and we'll work back and forth and they'll go, well, maybe if we could do this a little bit differently and I'll be flexible. So it does depend on the client um, and what it's for, who it's for. Um, so I, I try and work with each person and kind of suss out how um, how they are with you know, if they want more control or if they are happy to trust. It's a tricky one, that system of notes, uh, particularly, I mean, you would have had this uh, happen to you when you're working with a commercial client where Mm. there are um, people higher up that need (laughs) to put in their five cents, oh, yeah. but they have no right. They shouldn't oh, yeah, be just yeah. saying anything, but they need to justify their position. Yes. So they'll do something like, um, can you change the tone of blue in the background to this color? You know, yep. And then you do it, they go, actually, no, can you go back to where I like, I like what you had in the first. So yeah. that does your head in after a while. Absolutely. So I'm sure you've developed, because I can remember doing um, composites for clients and then, you know, they'd come back mm. with, oh, can you change this to blue? And I'd already flattened the image and forgotten yep. where all the stuff was and you've got to redo the whole thing. Has that happened to you? And how do you safeguard against that? Because mm. I've got some ways, but I'd like <laughs> to know what you do to just protect yeah. yourself from them. Changing, We changed our minds. I know. It's t- it's it's really difficult. Look, <laughs> commercial, commercial clients, <laughs> They can be amazing because, you know, there, there can be great opportunity to get your work out there in a much bigger way. They can pay better. Um, but then there's that back and forth that drives me crazy. So yeah. I, 
I actually go through this process myself because I'm dealing with um, so many different types of clients in yep. what I do. Uh, so I go, oh, I want to do more commercial work and I'll push that and then I'll, I'll do a commercial job and I'll go, I don't want to do <laughs> this again. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I do safeguard uh, against too many changes. So having, uh, you know, in, in the contract, in the lead up that uh, there's a certain amount of changes allowed and post that it's this much per um, hour uh, and so they know they kind of get stop at a certain point and they um, understand not to mess around too much. Yeah. Um, but also I'm very big on non-destructive editing yes. in my work. <laughs> so I will, uh, I will always keep it so that I can go back to all the different little pieces. Now there are so many parts to my images that sometimes I may not have been as good at labeling certain groups or labeling, you know, the different layers. So yeah. it can be hard to find bits and pieces at times, but I do try and keep it in pretty good order and not flatten down. Um, I, I will flatten down that finished piece, but I'll always have that um, non-flattened large document format file yep um, there and the finished flattened one is just to do that the final tweaking for print and um, so I can yeah always go back to those little pieces and I've had to and I've had to take things out and move things around and, um, and then go back and go back to what it was <laughs> so that does happen yeah so in, if, if I was to uh, have a little sticky beak around your computer would I find say you <laughs> did the Smith family portrait would you have Smith family portrait version one Smith family portrait <laughs> version two layers client preference version four versions do, yeah, does it look like that you just keep yeah, lots yeah, and lots yeah. of versions right, right, yeah so. yeah that's right that's right when you it's more when you go off on a, ta a different tangent so yeah. I'll continue to save it and have backups of the same one because I've still got all of those layers usually in that file that I can go back to but if I then change my direction quite substantially then I'll do a new version and yeah so I've got all those different versions going on yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's so important when you do this sort of work that you are incredibly organized and you have everything in the one spot and not yeah. that that random hard drive that you got three quarters of the shoot is in and then you're mm. trying to do it at six months down the track to do an edit and then you can't find half the stuff so exactly uh, I think it's so yeah. important to be organized and I think you learn that by the mistakes of a spend mm -hmm. all night redoing a shot yep. looking for everything right that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's say the uh, the Smith family come in to see you. So we've got uh, Dave and Jenny, and then the two little kids. Mm -hmm. um, and you've come up with a concept. How? So obviously these videos are a fantastic idea because they give mm -hmm. the family, uh, you know, a really good idea of how long it takes to do this and what's involved yep. in the shoot. So are you explaining all of this and saying, like, this is how much time we'll need and this is what I'm going to do? Are you in involving them in the process or just saying you just need to be here for this amount of time? How does that work? Yeah, I share a bit of the process with them um, because it's it's fun for them to know what's mm. going on as well. So even if they're not involved in part of the process, say it's in creating the background, you know, or me going out and shooting part of the background, they need to understand that I'm going to do that because that's part of the value of, you know, what I'm charging them for. Yeah. Um, so sharing that and, and I'll video all of those bits as well yeah. so that when they, when they get that finished product, they also get to see that finished video to see the whole process. Um, um, I think a, a lot of the time when people are trying to do compositing and sell their work and sell that as an offering, they a lot of people come up against 
um, but it but it costs too much. You know, people struggle to value uh, one image yeah. and uh, one art piece. So I, in that process of when I first kind of discovered that I wanted to do it to now, um, I've really realised that it has to be marketed like it is a, a painted portrait, a custom painted portrait that is done from scratch for someone and so that the, the whole artistic process, the art design, the conceptual um, coming up with it, all of the pieces are valued uh, so that you can put that high price tag on it. Yeah. Uh, and and so the importance of these videos, I can't stress enough um, because now instead of people coming to me and um, expecting a low price, they will usually come to me as long as they've seen my work somewhere and they've looked at it and they've looked at the videos, they'll come to me and say, we know that it's going to cost a lot, but this is what we want. Yeah. So it's that expectation is already set. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're doing the actual shoot, um, you mentioned, did you start out doing um, a comp, like a, a, a true composite where you're doing each uh, individual image and then comping mm. them together or you now shooting because the cameras are so much better than they were 10 mm. years ago. So you can, like I've been doing a lot of mine in camera. Yep. So are you doing it in camera or is it a combination of, of both? Because obviously it's, you can't yeah. dress your animals or those <laughs> all in camera. But with your family portraits, yep. are you, here's the frame and then you're sort of directing everyone to stand in certain spots. How does that look? Yeah, it, it very much depends on the concept. So mm. I always try and make sure that however I'm doing it, it's the most sensible way. It's the most, it's the way that's going to work the best and it's going to sell that fake. Um, so if I can get as much as possible in camera, um, that might include like uh, there'd be an example of a zebra one that I've done for a family where the, the children are playing with the zebra on the beach mm. uh, and one of the one of the girl, little girls is on the zebra's back one of the little girls is holding the zebra on a lead and the other little girl is throwing water onto the zebra from behind right and um so that we came up with together uh with the family and they were also having a family shoot on the beach as well so it was a mixed lifestyle se session with a story art piece which is something else that i do um and so the whole concept yep Let's come up with that. They love zebras. Let's uh, let's put something together. But how are we going to do it so that it looks real? So I had the the dad leaning down like he's a zebra at the zebra's height, yeah. Um, so that the kids could interact with him, right? Um, and you know, getting the little girl that was on top of the zebra on top of him, you know, so holding him, the little girl with the lead, um, you know, making sure that she was at the right eye level, so where she would be looking at the zebra when I put the zebra in place, yep. putting sand on his legs so that I could then put sand on the zebra's legs, um, and yeah, just everything that I can do there um so that 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 fake looks real so yeah that's that's the key i think just working out how to make the the fake look real <laughs> so, so when you've got something like a zebra in the shot have you already got the image of the zebra and have you created that like are you shooting on capture mm. one have you got an overlay of that image and then you're just positioning everyone around or does that happen in post 
I had the zebra for that one. So yep. most of the time, yeah, I'll try and create the background, for example, yep. if I'm putting them into a background first. So yes. I've got everything in place there, the lighting and the perspective and the scale and everything. Um, I usually, uh, if I'm shooting in a place that enables me to have my Wacom Mobile Studio Pro, which is an all-in-one computer, yep. I'll tether to it. Right. So I'll tether to it and I'll be able to do a quick comp. Um, yep. And yeah, I could do the overlay and capture one, but usually what I do is I just have the uh, the base image that I'm going to put them into in yep. Photoshop and I'll drag them in and do a really quick, okay, that fits. Now I know the angle's right, the scale's right, the light's right. Now I can get my shot. Um, so the same thing with the Zebra. I didn't take the Mobile Studio Pro out onto the beach. So what I needed to make sure is I knew how tall the Zebra would be. Um, I needed to know what angle the zebra that I'd shot, how I'd shot it. So then knowing what level to put my camera at to mm. match that to match that perspective um, and the lighting. So I usually photograph all of my elements and animals and things uh, in overcast light, which means that I can manipulate that light afterwards. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's sort of some of the keys of, of how I make it work. And are you taking detailed notes as you're going? Uh, are you marking frames uh, yeah, so that it's all a lot easier out the other end? Uh, I'm a bit more visual uh, and probably less technical. I know some people will mark out things and um, measure and do all of that, and that can be done, uh, but I'm just getting it. I, I know if, if I've got the camera at the right height um, and I've got the lighting right, that's that pretty much everything else is going to work around it. Lens length, um, whether it's wide angle or whether it's, you know, I'm zoomed up on something, doesn't matter as much as you think it would. Um, you can get away with quite a lot. Depth of field, you need to make sure that everything is in focus front to back. Yeah. So you don't want to have any drop off of the different elements so there's different depth of field. You yeah. need to make sure they're the same. Yeah. ISO, um, again, you can get away with a little bit because I usually add a bit of noise and yeah. grain afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, you can, um, you can have some variance in that. But the key is the light and the perspective. Yes. That has to be correct in camera. Yeah. yeah. So so you're locking off camera height and is there just, do, do you just know the camera? So if you, do you ever shoot over a couple of days? Obviously you do because mm. you're doing different mm. components. So how are you measuring your camera height? Is that just something that you record or are you marking it off or do you know that it's, the camera's going to be three foot from the ground. Yeah, How does that look? yeah. Usually by the tripod, if I'm using yep. a tripod. You just know. Um, but yeah, a lot of the shots, uh, a lot of the work that I do might involve children. Mm. So I usually shoot um, my backgrounds. Like a lot of my stock collection is shot at child height. So right. um, I used to bob down. So I used to bob down with the camera when I had the DSLR and look yep. through the lens and take the shot. Um, now I don't have to faint when I'm bobbing up and down because I use the mirrorless and I flip the screen out and I just shoot it down at waist level. So right. um, yeah, I, as long as it's pretty close, um, that that's the main thing. We just did Christmas Wish, um, which is taking photos of sick kids in hospitals around the world. Yeah. Um, and we have a green screen set up and we have all of these different backgrounds that our teams have created um, for it. And so the lighting's the same, the perspective yeah. is the same. It's all shot uh, a metre off the ground. Yeah. And so every single um, group or every single team needs to make sure that their lighting setup's the same and their tripod setup's the same and and where they're shooting at so it all matches and then we had different editors editing so you can really streamline the process yeah um but i think now uh what i want to do this year for 2020 is break out of that 
Um, so, you know, I've got, I've got the system in place and I teach the system and it makes it easy for everyone. But personally, I want to break out of uh, the typical angles and perspectives and uh, do something a bit different. Something completely different. Do, do you use green screens for your studio stuff? Mm-hmm. Is that preferred over a, a grey background? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's very, very easy if you do it correctly to yeah. cut out the green. Um, I've even created a green screen action that you just yeah. press a button and it does it. Yeah. Um, but but you have to make sure that everything's lit well. Yeah. There's there's some um, background distance between the background and your subject, so yeah. there's separation. Yeah. Uh, and there's not too much bounce back of of light. So yeah, yeah there's there's a few keys, but you can also then change that green if there's a little bit of spill, you can change that green afterwards pretty you easily. Can get it out of the show. But so you, you need to make sure that you light that green screen, otherwise yes. it's impossible. It will just be shooting on a grey background otherwise because yeah, it takes exactly. forever. Yeah, yeah. So the way that I shoot and the way that I teach how to shoot on green screen means it really is just a press of a button. Yeah. It's gone. So, yeah. yeah, even with the little hairs and everything, that's the great thing about green yeah. is um, you, you don't – you can just very easily get rid of everything and still have those fine hairs and those fine pieces of clothing in the shot. So, yeah, it works really well. So uh, just to finish, what, what are the things that you notice that uh, are a giveaway that an image has been comped, like some of the <laughs> mistakes that some beginners might be making and how to overcome them, maybe if you've just got a couple? Yeah. Well, I can go back to one of my early ones that I look at and, and you know, it's terrible. Um, so one of the giveaways is it's the light. It's always yeah. the light. It's the direction of light. So there's a conflict, you know, the, the subject might be lit from one side and the background's lit from the other side. Yep. so it's not consistent um the perspective is another giveaway looking at um the feet and whether they're actually on the ground or mm. if it looks like they're on tiptoes or on their heels and it, or if it looks like someone's leaning forward or leaning back so the perspective not matching um the cutouts can be obviously there can be rough cutouts mm. so the extraction process hasn't been done well it can be too soft so someone might cut out and then they'll feather it too much and it's too soft there's no detail in the cutout and uh, then color toning you know mm. whether it's matching the the color tones are matching um so they, they'd be the main giveaways um but there's there's quite a few there's quite a few steps to it so mm. when i first started i thought okay, if I extract it well, then great. I've, you know, <laughs> I've got a good comp. But as you do it, you just realize there's so much more. I mean, mm. shadows, obviously, is another key thing. And you can't just put a shadow there. It has to be matching the other shadows in the scene. So I always recommend looking at the scene, looking at the shadows that are in the scene, replicating those shadows. Are they hard? Are they soft? What direction are they going? Um, and replicating those with what you add in. Yeah. Yeah, that's some great advice. And just for someone listening who is thinking, well, maybe I might give this a go, what would be the easiest comp you could do to start with just to get your Mm. confidence up? So avoiding needing to put shadows in by doing like a head and shoulders shot or an upper body. So cutting out the feet altogether Mm. um, and just placing a subject into a background. So that's usually the easiest way to start. And I recommend just doing that. So one, one step at a time, grow your skills one step at a time, increase, you know, do something new each time that you create. Yeah. 
Oh, that's yeah. that's great advice. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, this has been great, Karen. I've got so many fantastic uh, takeaways. Now, you actually uh, teach all of this as well. So you've got a, yeah. a few places. So where can people find out more about you and um, yeah, more mm-hmm. about the work that you do? Yeah, so if you want to go to storyart.com, that actually has everything on there. So it links to my portfolio site, the education site, uh, and my gallery. So you can buy my prints as well. Uh, And if you want to delve deeper and really learn, storyart.education. So that has a a stack of tutorials on there. Um, I've also got digital assets, um, so a digital shop with backgrounds and actions and brushes. Uh, And I also run a masterclass. So every term, uh, I run a, a masterclass for eight weeks uh, with a series of students that we we delve deep. We have every every week we have a one hour live class. Uh, we work through projects. We work through a master project, and you really learn all of the steps that you need to take your compositing to the next level. So the Story Art Masterclass you'll find on that site as well, StoryArt.com. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks so much, Karen. I'll I'll continue to follow you and uh, see what amazing stuff you come up with next. It's been amazing chatting to you. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Gina. It was great. All right, there you go, Karen. Also, I love her hack about taking, um, getting dolls and taking the outfits of those dolls. I'm just going to, that's in fact given me an idea if I should just get doll's clothes to put on my cats. I don't need to Photoshop them on the cat. I can just put them on the cat. Okay, so you just need to find a doll that's the same size as uh, Rexy or Rocky and then you can dress them. Well, in fact, they've already got quite a lot of outfits. What have they got? I well, know what outfits. Um, <laughs> they've got a Louis Vuitton parka. Of course. <laughs> For those got, chilly days. Yeah. They've got sailor outfits. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, remember Rambo had a security bandana? Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, I'll actually share – I should share that into the – just in memory of my darling Rambo so that you can see Rambo as photographed by Gina Militia, of course, um, in his security <laughs> I bandana. I was his personal photographer. I know. He was a big deal. Mm. I mean, he was um, a big deal. I've got um, a camo jacket, fur-lined, fur-lined. So who wears that? Oh, well, they share their clothes. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, many, many. I can't even think. Just lots. Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. Gaza's got a Hawaiian shirt. Oh, cute. Yeah. Gaza is um, Gina's dog, Gary. But, of course, in Australia, we shorten everything. Well, it's not actually shortened, but we change words like Gary to Gaza and Darren to Dazza and Barry. Barry, Gaza, Dazza. You know what? We forgot last week. We forgot the Aussie slang of the week. So I guess Have you that's, got one? that's our contribution. There just you go. the names. Azza Bazza. to any word. Shazza. Shazza. That's a good one. Mm. Warren. Kaza. Kaza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could go on, but we think we you could. get the point. <laughs> Everyone's switched off that and gone home now. Honestly, I don't think anyone listens to this bit, but then they surprise me and they go, no, all the way to the end. All We're right. Suckers for punishment. <laughs> so, where do we find you online, Gina? 
You can find me at GinaMilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm on all social media at GinaMilitia. And if you want to take your photography to the next level and you'd like to be mentored by me and join photographers from all over the world, then check out the Gold community. Just go to GinaMilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.